Wednesday on the Illini Enquirer podcast. It's our weekly chat with Illini Enquirer basketball analyst, former Illinois and Wright State basketball player Michael Tulip. He breaks down a historic performance, a and historic performance, uh, always screw those up, by Coleman Hawkins, triple-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, uh, and in our VIP film room this week, it's fantastic stuff from Mike, breaking down everything Coleman did to really bust that 2-3 zone by Syracuse. It's not a very good Syracuse team. Obviously, Illinois was ugly through the first, what, 25 minutes or so of that, but they just didn't have shots going in. And when they started to fall, boy, it got ugly for Syracuse really quickly. But great defense. We break that down. I asked Mike about the freshman guards um, not playing like freshmen. What he's seen from them defensively so far, seeing good stuff from Matthew Meyer and uh, R.J. Melendez the last couple games. So we'll break all that down. Then, of course, a huge weekend and week coming up, I should say, as Illinois goes to number 22, Maryland, a late tip-off on Friday, 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. And then Illinois, I believe, stays on the East Coast because they got Texas at Madison Square Garden and the Jimmy V Classic at Tuesday. Uh, that is a 6 p.m. tip-off in New York City. Derek Piper, Joey Wagner, and I will all be there. And if Illinois beats Maryland, that could be a top-10 matchup because Texas at number two heading into Thursday night's game against another top-10 team in Creighton. So it should be a huge, fun matchup. Michael Tua previews that. Before we get to Mike, I just want to weigh in a little bit. The transfer portal in football is going nuts. And I know you all have the same question. Who's the quarterback? Who's who's Illinois going to get at quarterback? All I can tell you at this point is I don't know. I, I'm not like hiding anything from you guys. Illinois, just to take you behind the scenes, they're not going to share this stuff. How did I find out about Tommy DeVito? He was at a basketball game at Illinois. Saw him, kind of looked up things. He's like, oh, that's Tommy DeVito. So that's how I found out. Illinois is not going to share these things. They want to go behind the radar, uh, under the radar here for a little bit. Uh, they do have some big recruiting weekends coming up. I hear December 9th will be a big one. We already know, already know that uh, Colin Dixon, the three-star former Wisconsin commit, a wide receiver out of Ohio, will be visiting that weekend. Sounds like many more uh, will be there this next weekend, and it could include some transfers. Uh, but quarterback, the good thing is there are some good ones in the portal. Hudson Card, absolutely, if I'm Illinois. I'm going after the Texas quarterback who had four really good games as a starter while Quinn Ewers was out. And um, really efficiency-wise was – was probably better than Ewers, but obviously opponents have something to do with that. And, um, you know, the interceptions for Ewers at times could get pretty bad. But Hudson Card's a former top 100 prospect. You know he can play at a high level given the competition he played against. Now, of course, everyone's going to want Hudson Card. That That's a quarterback needy team. But I think Illinois has a good sell. Cade McNamara, the rumors are Iowa, some other Miami, Ohio, Miami, Florida. Schools like that are going to be involved with him. But again, I think my overall point about this, like whether it's Brett Gabbard at Miami, Ohio going up a level or Brennan Armstrong who just went into the portal, sure, I'll take Brennan Armstrong for a year. And I think after Brennan Armstrong saw how he wasn't protected against Illinois and how Illinois protected Tommy DeVito and kind of resurrected his career, if I'm Brennan Armstrong, yeah, I'd be really interested in Illinois. And that's my point is, my overall point of this is Illinois goes into the portal with some ammunition for quarterbacks. One, I think Barry Lunny is good at his job. Are there things that went wrong this year? Absolutely. Are there calls he wants back? Yes, he's admitted it. But we saw how much better this offense, in particular the passing offense, was with Barry Lunny as your offensive coordinator. 
You see an offensive line that had five guys earn all Big Ten honors, and three of them we had huge questions about going into the season, right? Um, Isaiah Adams, how does he translate? We thought he'd be good. He was really good. Zy Chrysler and Alex Pilstrom get all Big Ten honors. Pilstrom was a second team, all Big Ten selection by coaches. Uh, that That's a heck of a sell. And even though you lose some of those offensive linemen, you're getting some of them back, and we know Brett Bielma and Bart Miller know how to develop offensive linemen and have them ready for Big Ten play. That's a great sell to quarterbacks. Having a strong rushing attack, and I think that will continue. I don't think you have one guy as good as Chase Brown next year, but Brett Bielma has had a 1,000-yard rusher in all but one of his 14 seasons as a head coach. And then, of course... Get all your receivers back. Maybe add another weapon. We'll see if you do that this offseason. But that's a pretty solid base to sell to a quarterback. Brett Bielma was able to sell it to Tommy DeVito, even though he fired his offensive coordinator right after he got Tommy DeVito to commit. And after Tony Peterson had a terrible season throwing the ball. So now I wonder what they can do with an actual season of competent passing offense and another year of Brett Bielma building this program, and Barry Lunny being the actual one to sell it, because I do think he's far more dynamic in the recruiting aspect than Tony Peterson was. At least that's my read so far this season. I think Illinois is going to be very active in the offensive line market. They certainly have been already uh, when it comes to JUCO offensive linemen. But there's some really interesting names. NIU guy, Marcus Cox, you Peoria guys know about Marcus Cox. Illinois recruited him out of high school. He's got one more year of eligibility. I find him really interesting because he played left tackle uh, at NIU. Nick Gargiulo, uh, a Yale kid who was all-conference unanimously, could really fit in at center. And a really interesting name that just came out was Jake Renfro from Cincinnati. He's a Providence kid, New Lenox, uh, not far from where I grew up. And uh, he's transferring from Cincinnati. Of course, Wisconsin, you wonder about, given that Luke Fickle was there and given that Wisconsin's been so strong offensive line-wise. And NFL scouts are always going to go to Wisconsin for offensive linemen. But that's a kid that would would fit in perfectly. I think Illinois would love to get a center. Josh Kruitz does a lot of things right. He's just a little undersized. I think he'll compete for the job. But they could really use a center and a tackle. And there's some young guys coming up. Josh Geske they're excited about. Hunter Whitenack they're excited about. As I said, Kroots can compete for the center job. But when you have Zy Chrysler and Isaiah Adams back, I think Chrysler stays at guard. Adams could play tackle. He obviously played guard at a high level this year. He could play center, um, but I think they'd like to keep him at tackle because you know he's an answer there. And then if you get a Juco kid like Keyshawn Blackstock or Isaiah Miller, whoever it is, uh, I think you'd feel pretty good. So if you can get two more offensive linemen um, along with a quarterback, I think that's where it starts. They're obviously looking at defensive backs. You've offered a kid, Matthew Littlejohn, a Juco kid. Um, maybe replaces Channing Canada as one of their top Juco targets because Canada has dropped his official visit for Illinois. So basically they want one veteran defensive back because right now they have talent in the younger classes. And I know people already want to put Jair Hill into their you know, first string, uh, even though Illinois hasn't gotten a commitment from him yet. And obviously Michigan's top competition for him. But you have one upperclassman defensive back next year, and that's Taz Nicholson. Tyler Strang, obviously, has shown he can compete. Xavier Scott has got playing time, valuable playing time. They're very high in the future of Tyson Rooks at corner. Elijah McCantos, obviously very talented as a prospect. We know Matthew Bailey will start. Taz Nicholson will start. And then you're kind of open, right? But you want 
one more veteran defensive back to add into that mix. That's kind of what I'm looking at early. Obviously, we'll see how these NFL draft conversations play out. Um, Johnny Newton's a big one. Keith Randolph's a big one. I think Julian Pearl is leaning towards going in. But we know Devin Witherspoon will be gone. He's a first or second round pick. Chase Brown's probably a mid-round pick. Johnny Newton, if he goes, I think in my conversations with people, I think he goes top three rounds. So I think he'll go. But we'll have to see on that. I think Isaiah Adams will stay. Julian Pearl sounds like he wants to go. Keith Randolph's kind of the big one that I'm really interested to see what he beat. Because I, I think he's probably a day three pick if he goes. I think if he comes back, he can be higher than that. Um, Tariq Barnes, another one. They have to go find a linebacker to replace him and a Dark Angelo. But uh, Barnes, if he came back, would be another big one. It's a kid who played four years, right? Does he want to play a fifth year in college or does he just want to make that leap? So that's just some of the things. I just think Illinois has really good sells. Obviously, their defensive backfield, arguably the best in college football this year. The stats back it up. Number one in pass efficiency defense. They're not playing the SEC offenses. They're not playing Big 12 offenses. They're in the Big 10 West. But still, number one in interceptions, despite not throwing the ball a lot in the Big 10 West, and number one in pass efficiency defense. They're going to have three likely draft picks. That's a great sell. Johnny Newton, three years into his career, two with Brett Bioma and his staff and Terrence Jameson, likely NFL draft pick, potentially in the top three rounds. And a quarterback is the best sell Illinois had a quarterback in a really, really long time since Nathan Schuhaus was doing good things at Illinois. So I think they enter this transfer portal with some mojo, with some juice. Now we see who goes in because it's going to be nuts. It's already nuts. And the transfer portal hasn't officially opened. We're just hearing people's intentions, basically, except for the grad transfers and FCS guys. So buckle up. It's going to be a busy offseason. But for the first time in a long time, I think it could be a really, really good one and fun one for Illinois football fans to follow. All right, Michael Tulip on Illini Hoops coming up next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Let's talk some hoops. Our weekly chat with Michael Tulip, Illini Inquirer basketball analyst. A 29-point win over Syracuse, Mike. It, it didn't feel that pretty uh, as it was happening uh, because of so many missed shots. But I think the biggest takeaway, I guess, a, a, you know, a bad Syracuse team at this point. I think we can call them that with losses to Bryant, Colgate, and just not being as good as, as we usually think of a Jim Beheim team. Uh, but to hold a team that has some talent to 44 points, uh, we'll dive into Coleman Hawkins, but the, the defensive side of the ball has to be the most encouraging takeaway from that, right? Yeah, yet again, it's it's a game where your defense kind of holds down the fort, and they've just continued to give these teams fits. We're switching one through five. We'll get into Maryland later, but uh, that's that's another team that hasn't faced a team that switched one through five. And it's it's different because a lot of your actions are, are predicated on the majority of teams, which either hard hedge or or play in drop coverage. So uh, it, it's been jarring. You can tell for a lot of these teams, they're not used to it. Uh, they got to kind of go out, off script in a way. But I'm, I'm sitting there watching that game and – a lot of times that the telltale sign is shot quality. I, you know, you can look at the score and it was close there in the first half, but that's why I text. I think I texted you whenever it was either late first half or early second half. I said, they start making some shots. It's going to get the 20 in the blink of an eye because the quality of shot was there. And we'll talk about Coleman, obviously, but there, there was a lot of good in this game. And there was also some, again, there's more things that you can build on and work on and teaching points. I think, that staff's going to have leading into to some crucial games here coming up. 
So, Mike, you know, the whole switching one through five, we've had to adjust to it as, as people who watch Illinois basketball, whether it's fans, us in the media. Um, through seven games now, like, what what have you seen from the upside, the downside? Because we think of, you know, Sky Clark getting matched up on a Jesse Edwards for a play or something like that. Like, some teams did expose that. Hawkes, right? UCLA in the first yeah. half was able to exploit that a little bit. But we kind of saw the upside against Syracuse, right? So, like, when breaking down the switching in this defense – what makes the switching so effective more than being a downside of it? Yeah, a lot of times it's not even the scheme itself. It's the players. And in particular, uh, I look at guys like Sky. It, the, the, the reason why – I think everybody thinks about the versatility on the wing. Hey, we, can, we got versatile wings. We can switch one through five. It's like, really, it's the one and it's the five. Yeah, the reason why you can do it is because you don't you're not at a complete disadvantage when Sky has a big that's rolling him into the post. One, because Sky can hold his own down there, and two, Sky's a really damn good rebounder. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a big part of it. And then the flip side of it too is you have a big that can step out and guard smaller guards. And we've seen whether that's Gerard or or some of these other smaller guards that it, it's it's uncomfortable for them. Uh there's a lot of length and it's hard to get around Coleman. It's he can test. He, Terrence, same thing. Matthew Meyer, RJ. Uh, there's a lot there, and I think, uh, like I said, a lot of these teams they gear their actions to pick on the the tag man, right? Uh, to throw it to the backside, to attack long closeouts, and if you switch everything, you're not in those types of rotations. There aren't as many long closeouts. The one thing that I was worried about going into the season was young team communication and are you busting switches and they've they've been better at that early on than i would have anticipated so you can continue to build on it but it all comes down to to personnel and scheme if you have guys that fit that mold and if your anchors if you're one and you're five can both hold their own on the perimeter and 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 down low and they've kicked sky out a couple times uh and they'll do that opportunistically but um He's the reason. Him and Coleman are, are big reasons why. And Jaden Epps, too, has, has fought down there. Sincere's fought when he's got switched down there. But they're a big reason why you can do that. So um, it's better that you have the guys and not just like this scheme that you got to rely on every game. So personnel yeah. helps. Yeah, I want to dive into that, Mike. I, I, we'll get to Coleman here in a second. He's the story of the game, right? But um, Jaden Epps and Sky Clark, like they played, what, 30 minutes in this game? And I know Sky went 0 for 10. I didn't have a problem with most of his shots, right? Thing going, whatever. But the fact, like, those guys defensively um, have a lot of trust from this staff. Why is that? What are you seeing? Well, typically it's what keeps freshmen off the floor. It, you know, you usually err on the side of older guys, but there's they've been thrust in there by necessity, and they are both. I, I think Sky maybe a little bit more than Jaden, but – there's a reason why when you look up at the clock and there's 13 minutes left in the first half and Sky hasn't come out. There's a reason. I mean, sometimes the freshmen are the first guys taken out at the media. You get some older guys in there. The reality is you're putting in two younger guys as well. So uh, you, it's trial by fire. And I think if you know the game, right, if you can think the game, if you're a smart basketball player, and both of those guys are smart offensive basketball players, if you're a smart offensive basketball player, typically you can you're a smart defensive player, and a lot of that just has to do with feel. Dane's the same way. 
right? Sincere, you can just kind of roll out there and it's like, hey man, just we'll let you off the leash, go crazy. But those other guys, when you're when you're counted on in those big moments and it's late game and it's execution and it's not only just offensive execution, defensive execution, like those guys have been just on it. They're always pointing, they're always talking, and it's it's allowing this team to creep closer and closer to their ceiling. Because what was always going to hold them back was going to be the the acclimation process and how these freshmen, yeah. you know, were how these freshmen handled that process. So I think they've both uh, th- those two in particular, but even Dane and, and sincere as well, uh, and Ty. Right, Ty is a guy that I feel like we just don't talk about a ton. And I thought he played really well against Syracuse. He's he's so active, and um, those guys are a big reason. We we talk about Terrence, we talk about Coleman, we talk about RJ, but those guys. It's, it's continuing to raise their floor and it's continuing to get them closer to that ceiling. So I've, I've been really impressed. When they scheduled this game, uh, ESPN scheduled this in the last Big Ten ACC Challenge, like you thought, like my process, thought process was, oh, Coleman Hawkins. This is a, a great opportunity for him. Then when Illinois gets Matthew Meyer, feels like, oh, he can be a guy that, mm-hmm. that can kind of bust this. So we knew Coleman had the skill set uh, to, to be a real problem against this 2-3 zone for Syracuse. Why was he? What did he do so effectively to have a historic performance, Mike? One of the uh, five triple doubles in Illinois history. Yeah, when you have a guy like that, I think initially you could hear it, right? You and I were there where this the crowd is, oh, like turn around and shoot this floater. And if you look, a lot of times what's being given up and what looks open is typically what the other team is like, cool. Coleman Hawkins wants to shoot nine foot floaters the entire night. We may have a chance. And he could score 26 points off of it, but if he's not getting everybody else involved, then that's a win. So there were moans and groans in the crowd, but it's funny. There was one in particular in the second half. He turned, no one was there, and he just kind of surveyed and ended up just kicking it out to the other side. RJ relocated for a three. And great, you know, Coleman's going to get the ball. He's going to get high usage, but it's also important getting RJ involved, right? Him seeing shots go in. Because if you go into Maryland and it's like Coleman Hawkins is the only one that has confidence, then that doesn't feel like a good thing either. So I thought in the first half, that 2-3 zone, they extend those wings, right? And initially they had guy up top and then guys on the two wings. And then they had Coleman or someone in the middle, and then they had a guy in the short corner. And the adjustment, at least that that I saw, was, hey, we're going to have these dual players in the short corner. Not all the way in the corner, but we're going to put them in the short corner because if you're all the way in the corner, that wing can actually kind of play two. Because when the ball gets swung, his job is to actually kick out towards the sideline to deter any passes that are going from wing to baseline. So if you actually go into the short corner, now you're fully behind him. And I thought it really stretched that zone. And in the second half, they just stuck with it because they can count on a guy like Coleman Hawkins to make those decisions when it's three on two. You, you get into the middle, it's three on two. Mike, can you just specify short corner? That's like right inside the three-point line, right? Right inside the three-point yeah. line. You saw Ty there. You saw Coleman there a little bit. Dane was in there. when And the short corner, you're, you're, you're sitting behind that defense. And typically, it's, it's dump-offs. That's where these bigs get these dump-offs. But they had the wings sitting there in the short corner as well. And it just it, it's making Syracuse have to guard the entire floor. But it's also making Syracuse have to make a decision. Right. If you're Edwards, sometimes your responsibility as the middleman is to kick out to the corner if the wing has to take the ball. So now you put him in this crux where it's like, yeah, I got Coleman, he's a threat. Now, but if he kicks it, and they were just I mean, Coleman was toying with them, man. Like that the second half, he was 
there were, there was one time in particular he's 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 past fake and I could see it from my angle he was just smiling yeah. up top he, he had him on a string and he made all the right reads uh and and you could tell he had a, just a bounce to his step and then even when he wasn't the guy in the middle they put Ty there sometimes he was just always active right like you know he's posting up the low wing defender to occupy him then he's kicking back out to the top of the key shot fake and he puts one dribble kicks fights offense rebound tip it around. like he was doing everything and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that's what he does for the team and you saw it come to fruition in in the form of a triple double but he has that type of activity yeah. every night and his imprints on the game like that every night it just happened to show up that way um and probably a little bit more usage because of how he was utilized in the middle of that that zone but uh yeah, they they made that adjustment in the second half, and it was it was on, man. Yeah, Mike, you called it out like a week or two ago. You're sitting here saying he's so important to what they do. He's he's the key cog of on both sides uh, of the ball for them, and he's just so intelligent. Uh, he's yeah. just a really intelligent basketball player. Some of the fun things he does, like he has a bunch of no look passes. Um, I don't know if people see that live, but the touch passes are really fun. But it just shows how how intelligent he is to set the defense up like that um but he's a guy who like dives into the golden state warriors right he loves watching them and i remember talking in the offseason is why i asked about it after he had the triple double because who's a triple double machine in the nba it's draymond green he and ty rogers love watching draymond green and while draymond's got all these antics he's one of the most intelligent basketball players so you know io got all this credit for how much he knew about basketball how much he studied it Coleman's in, in the same way, man. Like, like and, and you see it come out on the court. Yeah, and, and look, the Warriors, there's a lot of good teams to watch the NBA, but the Warriors in particular, because a lot of that is it's read and react. It's feel. And it's it's funny. I, I think I mentioned it on a podcast previously. I didn't realize that this was something that they talk about as a team, but the the half a second decisions. It was something Steph actually said in the offseason to maybe he was at camp and Steph said hey when you catch the ball it's a half a second I'm shooting I'm putting it on the ground or I'm moving it like you hold it you let the defense set and then I think Coleman had mentioned it or maybe Jaden mentioned it in a press conference like hey we want to make that those half a second yeah. decisions I was like that's awesome because that's that's what he was doing and he's he's re some guys need it spelled out for them right like I need you to fully commit over here so that I see that this guy is open and not only was he reading the defense, he was moving the defense. And the, the no-look pass he had to Jaden Epps in the corner by the bench, it was, I think it was 45-35, it made it 48-35. He held the wing defender low with his eyes. He knew Jaden was there. I think it was Ajok that was, that was down there. They put Jaden in that short corner. So you can see on the clip, we'll break it down in the film, mm -hmm. you can see on the clip he... Ajok is turning around and he looks once and sees that Jaden's right behind him in the sh in the short corner. So he assumes Jaden's still there. So when Coleman gets the ball, he turns and looks directly into the short corner. Ajok hasn't moved to the corner because he thinks that Epps is still there. And Coleman holds him with his eyes, mm -hmm. holds him there. And then no look pass to Jaden for the three. It's like a quarterback. And yeah, it's like a quarterback. <laughs> it's it's Rodgers, it's Mahomes, it's looking him off over the middle. It's it, that's what he does and he made so many good reads on the guy that's sinking and filling the wing's gonna fill and then I'm gonna kick out that's I think it's the last clip on the film review that we'll do but he had that he had just a great pass great kick out to Terrence late in the second half for 
three. And uh, there's a reason why you look at these mock drafts and some guys feel like they have to do it with production. I got to average 18 a game. I got to, if you know, the NBA wants basketball players. Yep. Coleman Hawkins is a basketball player. It's one of my favorite things so far of the season is Coleman not forcing those things and just being a great, the great basketball player that he is. Um, are you bothered at all by 39 three-point shot attempts? I mean, they were open, uh, most of them. No. Besides maybe the yeah, Terrence no, Shannon, I, like 40-footer or whatever it was. Yeah, look, you they make 11 of them. I think the funny thing with Coleman is he had 10 assists, and if they, these guys just shoot their averages, he probably has 18, which is, which is crazy to think about. And – no, man. I, I think if it's within the script and if you're not settling, this was going to be a team that – this team's gotten crushed, Syracuse, that is. This team's gotten crushed out of the offensive glass because teams shoot threes. And those smaller guards, it's hard for them to rebound out of it. So you get 17 back on the glass because you're shooting these outside shots, and they have capable shooters, right? 11 for 39 could have easily been 17 for 39. Could have easily been 18 for 39. So – yeah, Look, Sky it, has seems, his normal night and goes three for seven. Like that looks a heck of a lot better. Fourteen or three. That's not a bad night. Yeah, no, it's not. And and shot quality, right? Yeah. We we talk about it all the time. I I get it's like, hey, settling for threes. It's like, yeah, but these guys are capable shooters and they're open. Because if they're that you wouldn't hear a peep. If it was if they shot 18 for 39, yeah, we wouldn't hear a peep about settling for threes. It's just because they weren't going in. Yeah. But that's why I texted you. If they if those were going to start falling, which they were because of the quality of shot, like the quality of threes they got against Syracuse were different than the quality of threes they got against Virginia. In Virginia, it was slightly contested, heavily contested. Like those, that's a different story. Then you're settling because you don't want to move the defense. I'll, I'll show clips in the in the film. I mean, there were 15, 16 pass possessions uh, against the zone, like 0405 stuff. Where I, I we've talked about before with the eighteen pass possession against Northwestern that that 0405 team had, where it's just pinging around and you're getting that that zone moving. That's that was the difference to me. Was in the first half, same type of looks, but they were focused so much on getting it to the middle that that more than half a second decision allowed Syracuse to reset their zone, and then you felt like maybe you weren't getting the the yeah. quality of shot you could get. Second half, that thing was humming. And it just became impossible for them to guard. So, no, not worried about the 39 threes. I didn't realize 40 is the record. 40 is the record. The NCAA championship game in 05, yeah. They could have <laughs> blown that out of the water if they wanted to. <laughs> Truly. Like, they could have they could have easily shot 45 to 50 in that game. So, look, it's all game script. It depends on, on what you're trying to exploit, what you're trying to attack. And they were doing so many good things to lead to those – three-pointers that it wasn't just come down one pass chuck so i don't have a problem with it matthew meyer has just 13 points on four for 12 shooting the last two games but i don't think besides the ucla game i don't think i've been as encouraged about him than i have the last two games 17 boards three assists just two turnovers during those games i I thought he was part of that really moving the ball well uh against syracuse man if you just get some shots to fall man um that's what's fun about this team right like if it feels like they're not even hitting on all cylinders yet. So if Matthew Meyer starts making shots on top of RJ Melendez, who's had strong a couple really good games here together, Mike, like he he's gonna he's gonna make a huge difference this week uh, when they go out to Maryland and Texas. Yeah, it's funny how it all ties together for a guy like Matthew Meyer. Look, he said it himself today. I think valuing the things that'll keep him on the floor, and that's that's rebounding and that's defending and. 
look, Matthew Meyer is a basketball player. He's another guy that falls under that category. He has great feel. Um, and it's amazing when you focus on those things, the defense and the rebounding, you really free yourself up to make shots. Because when you're focused on aiming and I got to make shots, that's just how basketball works, man. Like if you take whatever you take your your mind off of ends up kind of coming back full circle because you're, you're just shooting. At that point, you're just shooting, right? You're not aiming. You're not trying to make it. And I think that's that's really the the psychology there for him. And part of that, too, is because he's doing the things that he's supposed to do, defending and rebounding, he's on the floor more. If you're on the floor more, you have more of a rhythm. When you have more of a rhythm, you can make a bigger impact on the game uh, because he's a good enough player to do that. So he, I think he said it today, and I, I've been saying it as well, where it's the barrage is coming. He's going to have one of these games. He's going to have a five, six, three-point night. And you obviously hope it all comes within the confines of what this team's trying to accomplish, which it likely will. But he forced a lot of shots at Baylor. I really haven't seen that much from him this year. And that's equally what's as impressive is a fifth-year guy. He talked about the NBA this morning, right? And that I've been on teams before. Like, that weighs on guys. That's something you've been dreaming about. And you think that every missed shot or turnover, it's lowering your chances He's so focused on on helping this team win games, and I think that alone speaks volumes because you're going to have these freshmen that have peaks and valleys. And if you look at a guy like Matthew Meyer, who's just like, "Hey, I don't care, man. Let's yeah. just win. Let's focus on the right things." That's that's huge. Which, to be honest, the first couple of games, I didn't know if that was the case, but the last yeah. several certainly feels like it's been that. A couple of good games in a row for R.J. Melendez. Is he just looking comfortable? What do you see, Mike? Yeah, I, look, he's doing the tough things, and. I think that's also freeing him up to make some shots. Like that's he's rebounding at a higher rate. He's defending better. Like he didn't defend well. He didn't rebound well in Vegas. And now he's able to do those things. And again, he's staying on the floor. This is a guy you want to talk about doing the tough things. We talk, I think when I say that you think about rebounding and diving on the floor. It's a mental thing too. This is a guy that got his second foul with 17 minutes left in the first half. And for a lot of guys, you can just shelf them. Like they're gonna they're gonna sit there the entire first half. They're gonna spend most of the second half trying to get back in a rhythm, and then maybe you know they have a little bit of an impact. He was he came out of the gates and put his imprint all over that second half for a guy that was not in rhythm that you know had every excuse or could have just been like ah like I was didn't play in the first half trying to get my feet under me or rushing to try to get to your point total or try to get to. Uh, what you think will constitute as a good game. I thought everything was, again, within the offense, was opportunistic. He got some runouts, the N1, almost dunked all over Edwards. And that's what he has to do, the the tough stuff, aggression. Like, he, he's, he has the capability to be a confrontational driver. Mm-hmm. And when he's a confrontational driver, he gets to the line and he's a good free throw shooter. Yep. So he's doing all those things. He's stringing them together and – Again, it feels like we, a broken record talking about all these guys. It's like, hey, if this guy can play right. at the level he's capable of, like what that does for raising the level of this team as a whole. And, and RJ's that guy to a T. Melendez, one rebound in Vegas over two yep. games, 10 over the last two games. Of course, he's got 32 points during that time now. And that's basically in three halves because, as you said, yep. didn't really play the first half uh, against Syracuse. 
Okay, Mike, we get to learn a lot more about this team. Syracuse, not very good. Lindenwood, obviously, uh, just getting into Division One, Just like they did in Vegas, this is going to be a huge East Coast trip uh, with number 2 Texas next Tuesday. But first, it starts off with a Maryland team that I was high on going into the, the offseason, at least based on everybody else's projection, just because their starting five is, is really good. Their front court's one of the best in the Big Ten with Dante Scott. Um, Julian Reese as a sophomore is taken off. And, of course, Akeem Hart may be one of the guys that doesn't get talked about uh, a lot, as, as Derek said on our last podcast. But it's very talented starting five. And on the road, first one in the Big Ten to start off your, your Big Ten season opener. This is fun, man. Like, there's a scary test. But for this team, I think it's a needed one, and it, it's an exciting one. Yeah, that's a tough environment. You, you and I both know when that – when they have it rolling, they pack that place. That student section feels like it goes up to the sky right there behind the, the second half basket for, for Illinois. And look, this is an older team. I think they're top 15 in the country in terms of their experience, in terms of who they trot out there. And, uh, you know, Carey's an older guy. Young's a grad transfer. Reese is, a, is obviously a bit younger, but Scott's been around for a while. Hart's been around for a while. Um they they've adopted a lot of what Kevin Willard did at Seton Hall, and that's changing defenses. That's playing some man. That's playing some matchup two three zone and uh, doing some drop coverage with with Reese. I'm really interested to see this matchup because it's it's a fascinating one. You know, eliminate the take out the fact that like you and I talk about Illinois and it's of obvious interest because. Illinois is playing a game. This is just, if I was just a college basketball fan, this would be interesting because here's the reality. It's going to be a tough game. And I say that, and you could you could argue for both sides. One, it's a tough environment for Illinois to go into and go steal a win. But also for Maryland, you haven't played a team like this. Mm-hmm. You haven't played a team that switches one through five. St. Louis, drop coverage. Miami, hard hedge. Louisville, drop coverage. And the two guys that have had a ton of success for this team is Dante Scott and Akeem Hart. And Reese has been great too. And the reason why is because a lot of what they run, it's double drags, right? We're going to double drag screen. So we're going to have a ball screen up top with two guys. So Reese is going to screen. Scott's going to screen. We're going to roll Reese and then we're going to pop Scott and you're going to have to make a decision. And then when you have to make a decision, and you're the tag man on the weak side that has to tag Reese coming in, we're going to skip it to Akeem Hart. That's the reason why he's knocking down these threes. Or we're going to put Hart up top, or we're going to put another big up top, and we're going to put Scott in the opposite corner, and now you're going to be the tag man that's guarding Scott, and then we're going to skip it to him. Scott's going to drive a long closeout. He's shooting 43% from three. That's where they're putting teams into a bind, is these actions that they're running – and you have to help off a Scott. You have to help off a Hart. That gets eliminated when they switch one through five. So now I'm interested to see if you can eliminate what they're trying to accomplish. Another thing that they'll run, and if we had a film breakdown on it, I'd, I'd show it, but uh, the Chicago action, they'll, they'll do it just straight up or they'll run it out of horns where essentially it's a ball screen into a dribble handoff. So Scott will run and set a ball screen and Reese is coming over on a DHO and the point guard's coming off. So it's just more movement, more action. Scott sets it. He pops. Reese, you know, rolls to the rim. And then you're trying to create confusion. Or, you know, you're doing out of horns. You're just doing it straight up. And look, when you're switching one through five, that doesn't matter. 
Right. You can still maybe get something out of it, but it's not working the way you think it will because Reese isn't having a free roll of the rim where you're relying on the tag man. That makes sense. This is one of my most intriguing matchups of the season uh, because this team, Maryland, because of Dante Scott, uh, and in Ohio State because of E.J. Liddell, those teams were the toughest matchups for Illinois during the Kofi Coburn era, right? Um, because they could stretch him out. They could force some bad actions in that drop coverage like you're talking about. I'm fascinated to see how it works now that it's different. They, they can switch those guys. They have the personnel, Mike, to, to match up with them. Now it's very good personnel, and you're on the road. So it's going to be a tough matchup. But I think this is a great early look at, at how it holds up against a team that – you might play in the second round of an NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, and look, I talk about eliminating those those actions. They may get some buckets out of them, but it's it's not going to be the way that they design it, which is picking on that backside, throwing to the back action, getting Dante Scott. You're on a long closeout because Dante Scott can put it on the floor. Yeah. He's not just like this catch and shoot, or we're going to throw it into the you know long post and have him work out. Like he can put it on the floor, and he's nimble finishing around the rim. So. So if you eliminate that and you you at least are are playing well defensively within their actions, now it comes down to two three two things. And if you if they can win these two things, they can win this game. It's limiting them to one shot and it's finding them in transition. Hmm. That's the two things because we saw last year at home in Champaign, that's how they made their run. That's how Dante Scott got loose was they got it, they pushed it. Jameer Young is lightning quick in transition. You got to get the ball stopped. I think your press can slow them down a little bit, but who cares about the press if you're not making a shot to set it up, right? You can't turn it over. I know they 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 were great about that against Syracuse, but Syracuse doesn't turn teams over. Mm-hmm. Maryland does. Like Maryland, Maryland does at a much higher rate. So look, and then on the offensive end, continue to do what you do. They're going to be in drop coverage. So I'm looking at Sky Clark. You just went 0 for 10, man. Like this is not the game to be like, ah, like, I don't want to have another 0 for 10 game. He's going to have opportunities coming off high ball screens to be able to knock down those pull-ups or attack downhill on a guy like Reese. And same thing for for Terrence, same thing for a lot of these guys, but Sky in particular, they run high ball screen stuff with Sky, late clock, step-ups. He's going to have to continue to be aggressive. And if and if you're not going to do the pull-up or, or get downhill, you need to get that big to commit. Because if you can get the big to commit, then maybe you have a throwback, maybe you have Dane on a roll, um, his sky's aggression first Big Ten road game is going to be key. Yeah. The other thing is Illinois has got the huge depth advantage. Uh, Maryland yeah. does not have a very good bench. We know Illinois with Dane and, and Jaden in particular, but of course Sincere, who sounds healthy, and, and Ty. Um, they have four guys they can certainly go to. We're recording this on, on Thursday, uh, and uh, Texas plays Creighton later tonight. They, they crush Gonzaga. Gonzaga's been an interesting team, but obviously very talented, very good team. They beat them by 19 at home, uh, but they get Creighton at home tonight. It's a team that hasn't left the state of Texas, I don't think, yet this year, so in New York will be fun. But, Mike, this Texas team, under a great coach in Chris Beard, certainly has the talent to, to be a Final Four team. They have depth uh, up and down the roster. What a what a big-time matchup um, that is going to be. But what do you think of that matchup? It is. it is It's, it's a big-time matchup. I, I watched that Texas-Gonzaga game. And, look, Gonzaga kind of played into their hands. Um, you know, they, they went four out, one in, threw it into Timmy, doubles. like they, And they just kept going to it because it's through Timmy. And you're, you're thinking, all right, he can – be able to throw it out and 
But if you are doing exactly what they've repped all week, that's part of a game plan, right? It's part of thinking about like, what are they going to rep all week? And how can we kind of make them feel like fish out of water and be like, oh man. Because if you're talking about trapping Timmy all week, scout team, they throw it into Timmy, you go over, you trap, you're breaking it down in smaller segments, you're going live, you're doing five on five full court, you're doing the same thing. And then Gonzaga goes and does that the entire game. You're comfortable. Like you feel, Yeah, you feel confident in your game plan. So that's why a team like Illinois can give you problems, right? Is they can do a lot of things. They can run different ball screen coverages. For Gonzaga, it's Timmy and drop coverage. And it's and Timmy's gonna play, so you're gonna be in drop coverage. So look, they played UTEP, they played Houston Christian, they played Northern Arizona, they played UT Rio Grande Valley. This is a big test for them tonight against Creighton. Like this is to me, this is a Creighton team, although they're gonna have Kalk Brenner and drop and he's gonna hard head sometimes. Like I wanna see when this team, Creighton, like they don't feature Kalk Brenner like that. Like they don't just throw it into him like they're going to throw it into Timmy. So I want to see them guard different actions. Like Creighton has a lot, has more dynamic offensive players than Gonzaga does. There's no question about that. So yeah, I, I think they can stroll out different lineups. Texas can that I think will be some of the bigger lineups that that Illinois is going to face all year. You got Dylan Disu, who's six nine. You got you know um, Christian Bishop. Timmy, yeah, yeah, Christian Bishop, Dylan Mitchell's a like a lottery guy, long six eight. Uh, you, you know, even Sir Jabari Rice is, is a guy that uh, is has a ton of length. And uh, Timmy Allen, six foot. I think they had a lineup. Their guards aren't aren't big by any means. With with Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, they're six foot and six two. Right. But they roll out certain lineups where you know you got like I said, Dylan Mitchell six eight, Disu six nine. Jabari Rice or Sir Jabari Rice is six four, um, uh, you know, and then you have other guys that they, imp- I guess, implement into the game that, like, this is going to be a faster pace, I think, than that Syracuse game for sure. Like, this is going to be a faster pace. Uh, Maryland is opportunistic getting up and down, but these are two really great tests, and and honestly, these are two winnable games. This isn't just hey, David versus Goliath here. Like, they right. should Illinois should feel pretty confident with uh who they have and, and who they're strolling into these games because it's it's you can tell game and game in and game out it's it's giving some of these teams fits yeah hunter and Carr are bucket getters um yeah. they, they're they're really good but again this is a matchup that last year i don't know if i would have liked for illinois but now like with the switchability the versatility the depth uh i think you feel a little bit better about and According to the newest ESPN mock draft, you got two of the three first-round draft picks in this game. So should be a, a lot of fun, Mike. And I love the way Brad Underwood is scheduling, right? Like, this is this is fun as a fan. You get to learn a lot about your team. You get a chance to make a statement as a program. But most of yeah. all, you get to learn a lot about yourselves before um, you start Big Ten play, which obviously starts, but the, the meat of Big Ten play in January. But as a guy who played in the games, I got to ask you because everyone's asking me, the ACC Big Ten Challenge is done. How do you feel about it, and what should uh, replace it? I always kind of liked it. You know, I, it was weird. My freshman year, we played Georgia Tech, and then my sophomore year, they're like, hey, you're playing Georgia Tech again. It's like, okay. So then Thanks. it was like a home-and-home home with, with Georgia Tech. Um, I believe – Was that Passner back then? No, I think it was uh, – was it Heath? Um I, I I don't know I I forget who was oh, coaching yeah. Georgia Tech those years I, and then I was trying to remember who we played. Um, Brian who we Gregory played. Brian Gregory was the guy. 
It was Brian Gregory. Wow, that was my uh, my first letter ever as a recruit. My freshman year was from Brian Gregory at Dayton. Handwritten letters. Shout out Brian Gregory. I was trying to look. I was trying to look to see in 2015. All right, it was my it was Miami, it was Miami Florida. That's who the, the we go there, and it's like this. I don't know that that uh, arena. Let's just say it, it doesn't get very loud. Uh, we had just gotten ranked. We won the main event mm-hmm. in uh, in Vegas, beat Baylor, um, and we go there and just a really crappy game, to be honest. But that was that was kind of one of the weird years too. It was kind of similar to this year, where you know we had some some cupcakes to start, and then we go to the main event, and then we play Miami in the ACC Challenge, and then our next you know two of our next three games are Villanova at the Garden, and then um, and then Oregon. Mm-hmm. At, at the UC so similar in the sense where you're playing some some pretty high level opponents I like the Big Ten ACC challenge um, at the top it, you know it's it's one of those things where you know am I tuning in to Northwestern Pitt like you know and, and then I, I what I do love my favorite thing about the Big Ten ACC challenge now that like all these teams are in these conferences is like they basically cast the last place ACC team is like you're relegated down like you can't play in the Big Ten ACC challenge NC State you're playing William Mary yeah. on a Tuesday night so that that I think is is cool the way they do that or it's a, it's not just like hey like in all fairness let's cycle through you're out this year you're in it's like hey you get last you're not playing in it that's right so I kind of I like the the cutthroat mentality there what to replace it with i, I, mean, I mean the big 12 has the the fox deal big 10 is a fox deal yeah that seems like the most natural because sec is probably gonna go acc right Would, yeah yeah they already did that um but it okay. would be it'd be fun um i think for just a couple years let brad underwood schedule what he wants because i think that's gonna get us kansas that's what that's all i want mike is i want a home and home kansas illinois get bill self back illinois go yeah. to fog allen so we can all visit fog allen which i hear is the best atmosphere in college basketball we got to get that done so anyway i can get that done but a big 10 big 12 would be a lot of fun because those two conferences have been arguably the two best for for a while yeah and you may get baylor too right i'm just thinking about the relationships that iowa that state has like yeah Texas, west virginia maybe yeah. you get a west virginia in there with hugs and <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of different uh chances because the one thing that i think he's you know underwood's proven over the years is he, he i think he looks at all these non-conference games as hey it's a it's a win-win either we're gonna learn a lot about our team or you know or or we're gonna win the game yep. so it's that's kind of how you have to look at it because you can tell at times through scheduling what teams uh want to just play the the win total game to get the NCAA tournament right like i think a lot of times you look and it's like oh man minnesota, look at that look Rutgers. at yeah look at minnesota last year right <laughs> you know they 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 schedule these games to try to get this race to get to 20 wins like just get to 20 wins the committee will look at it and they'll let us in so if we get to 12 and 0 or 12 and 1 with no non-conference you know really no challenges in the non-conference then all we got to do especially when it was an 18 game slate all we got to do is go 8 and 10 in yeah. conference we get to 20 wins maybe win one in in a tournament how are you going to keep us out at 21 wins and i think that's just a way that people have tried to like sidestep the system and now you can tell they schedule like you can tell by the way someone schedules how secure they are in their program Mm -hmm. right if you're scheduling the heavy hitters and non-conference you're not worried about this whole bubble thing for the ncaa tournament you think you think you got a team that can not only compete and win those games but you have a team that's gonna gonna do some things in march so 
I always look at non-conference schedules because you you can tell. But now with the portal, I think what people what people don't realize, and maybe obviously sometimes you look, it's like, hey, they're playing. You know, there's a football game in 2030. Like they're they're obviously scheduled ahead. But now with the with the portal, it's like, hey, that team that we scheduled that we thought we were going to play, like it is not that team anymore, yeah. good or bad. We thought we were playing a really good matchup, and now they're bottom feeders. Or we thought we were going to get like a gimme, and now they reloaded in the portal. And it's a tougher game than we expected. So I think year to year that becomes kind of fascinating as well. Well, Michael Tulip next week we'll be able to talk about what happened against Maryland, what happened against Texas, an eventful week ahead. Always appreciate your time, man. Thanks, man. As I said in the last podcast, let's freaking go. This is fun stuff. Fun matchups coming up for Illinois Hoops. And of course, we will be here after each of the next two games to break it all down. We'll have more on the football offseason. We'll get Joey Wagner on. We'll have a little bit more fun with that. As more names under the portal, probably just have to do a portal special on Monday at some point, though we're flying to New York. So maybe we'll do that in the airport. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But uh, it's going to be a busy time. The offseason feels even busier than the actual seasons. So check out everything at Alana Enquirer. Just had a huge mailbag. Joey Wagner got, and I got plenty more in the works, uh, including all, all that we hear when we hear it, on who they're targeting, what the official visits are, and how all these guys would fit in uh, to Illinois football because the next month is going to be busy with additions. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Alana Enquirer podcast. Thanks to Michael Tua for joining us. Of course, he is the goods. And uh, give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us. We appreciate that. Check us all out on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button on any video. Really helps us out when you guys do that. Takes one second to do it. So appreciate every time you guys are able to do that. And check out everything at Alana Enquirer. For all you monthly members, you can get a 50% upgrade right now if you want to join the site's 50% off. And I do want to thank everybody we had an unbelievable promo sale. I know you guys get sick of me filling your feeds. Hopefully you enjoy some gifts every once in a while. Let's try, try to make it a little more palatable uh, for all you guys. But uh, that's how we advertise and, and help grow this site so we can cover your team the way I think it should be covered. And that's all we've tried to do uh, over these last, what, seven years now doing this as part of Scout and now 24-7 Sports. Appreciate all your support. It has been humbling and it has been awesome. And allows us to do things like sending Derek out to D.C. and keeping him on the East Coast uh, for several days. And then Joey Wagner and I being able to go cover this huge game against Texas as well. We just can't thank you guys enough uh, for giving us that support uh, to do this. Because it's, uh, it beats a real job. beats a real job, I'll tell you that much. All right, everybody, take care of each other. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Online Enquirer Podcast. Bye, everybody.